All right, come on in, everybody, and find a seat. We will start our second hour in the Anxious for Nothing series. And before we get into the material, I just want to remind you of some of the things that are coming up. One is that tonight we do not have our community groups because those meet on the first and third Sundays, and so this is the second Sunday. So next week we will have our uh, community groups. If you want to know how to be part of one of those, then let us know. Easy way to let us know is by texting us the keyword CBC Connect to the number 97,000. The ladies have some things coming up uh, tomorrow. It's Valentine's Day, but the ladies had talked about it and they thought Valentine's Day would be an okay to, day to do this. And uh, so they're having an, an event tomorrow and it will be here at uh, 7 o'clock and the information about what to bring and what it's all about is at our website, cbctrenton.com. The ladies also have on March 11 and 12, they're going to have an overnighter. They're going to go do some shopping and go out to eat together and some other things. You don't have to be part of all of that, as Pastor Larry keeps saying, ladies, but they do need to know uh, how many are coming and what parts you are going to be part of, so you can do that and register for that at the uh, website as well. Our midweek program has restarted. It was on hiatus because of the semester break just before the holiday, and then we had to take off all of January because so many people were sick. So this past Wednesday, we started it back, started it back up. So if you are not uh, enrolled in uh, one of the classes that we're having, uh, then the class for you is First Peter. And Dr. Tim Miller from Detroit Baptist Seminary is teaching that. He's an excellent teacher. You'll really benefit uh, from that. Uh, if you were already in two, the two classes that we were doing last semester, Gospel of John, Master Plan for Life, those are now continuing into their second semester. And you can take those classes by live stream or come in person, either one. Some nights you can't get here, you'll have available to you uh, the live stream. So mid, uh, midweek is going. I want to tell you about what's happening in this hour over the next few weeks as, as well. We're going to continue the Anxious for Nothing series for a few weeks, but then uh, next month on March the 20th, March the 20th, we will have four weeks where we will offer our newcomers orientation. That is, as the name suggests, for those who are new, you're looking at our church, you'd like to know more about our church, we offer that four weeks to go through a booklet of material for you, uh, and I lead that. So any of you that fit into that category, that will be happening in just about a month, March the 20th, this hour, and then for three weeks after that, total of four weeks. At the same time, we'll be having Membership 101, and that is a membership class for those who have joined our church since the last Membership 101 uh, last, uh, last fall. So Pastor Larry will be leading that for those four weeks. Those of you that fit in that category, that's not an open-ended class. That's a defined class. We know who those are that joined since the last one, so you'll be receiving an invitation. Whereas the newcomer's orientation, that's just come on in if you're somebody who wants that, that information. And then for everybody else, you guys will be in, in here, and then we will have our guys teaching for those four weeks. And then when we come back, that following week is Easter. And on Easter, we're just going to have one service, our worship service. We will not have this second hour discovering God. The following week, April the 24th, we will start an outreach series on resolving conflict. We'll send mailers out to the community. So be thinking about somebody perhaps to invite uh, to that and be here yourself for that. 
because as I mentioned in our first hour, that's an important part of what we try to do to make contacts with our, our community. All right, we've been going for the last few weeks through this uh, topic of anxiety, worry, uh, and we call it anxious for nothing. Many of you will recognize that phrase as a quote from Philippians chapter 4, where the Bible says very directly, be anxious for nothing. And we have seen some of the things that make us anxious, that uh, we are anxious particularly in our day because we have so much to be potentially worried about because we are bombarded with uh, more information in our day than any generation prior, in history, literally. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes we, sometimes we say unprecedented and we exaggerate. That's not an exaggeration, that there is more information available to the average person today than there ever has been in the history of the world. Now, that can be used for good or ill. That can be used for research, that can be used to find answers to things, or it can be used to scare you to death. And unfortunately, all too often, it is used to, to scare you because in order to get you coming back to the same channel, in order to get you to click on the same websites, then you need to be motivated in some way, and one of those motivations is fear. So if you can be scared then you come back to the people who are scaring you because they're the ones who are telling you the way the world works. They're the ones who apparently have the scoop. I'm not hearing this anyplace else. I'm only getting it from you. Well, they, you know, they want that. They want their niche, and they want you to come back to the niche. So we have people, and we have even people in churches, Christian people, where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, as we saw last week, do not worry. And in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but despite that, we have people who are very afraid. They're very afraid about what's coming next. They're very afraid about the coming civil war. They're very afraid about losing the, our, our place as Christians in the overall society. We're afraid about the shifts that are taking place and how those might impact us. We're just fearful. We're afraid. We're, we're anxious. We're, we're worried. And I hear it. I hear it. Uh, in, in the voices of those I, I talk to. But that's because, partly because we have so much to, to process. But I've also said that how you process that depends on a couple of things. One, it depends on your nature, how God has wired you. Some people uh, notice and observe more than others. And if you're someone who's very observant and you see a lot of what's going on around you, well, then you have more to contend with, more to potentially worry about than the person who is less observant, the person who just goes through, doesn't see all the, the environment around them, just does their thing. They don't have the occasion and the impetus uh, to, to worry as much. So we're just different, not necessarily better or worse, but we're different in that regard. And I've given you illustrations of that from people in my own family who are different like that. So there's your nature. But then, as always, there's your nurture as well. As you come upon these issues that are fodder for you to be worried, for you to be anxious, then how you have seen others handle situations when they arise is going to impact you. That's your nurture. That's how you, that's how you grew up. That's how your family handled these things. That's how your mom or your dad handled when things were, were difficult and, or, or unknown. So we have a lot potentially to worry about. We're different in the way we respond to it by nature and by, by nurture. 
And yet God says consistently things like, do not fear. Fear not, I am with you. Do not worry. Be anxious for nothing. So it's an important, therefore, topic for us to be aware of, for us to look at, and for us to uh, make sure that we are doing what God says. And so in today's lesson, what I'd like for us to, to do is look at what the Bible says about a worldview lens through which to see a worry and anxiety. That whenever you deal with an issue, biblically, you're always dealing with that issue with three components of the biblical worldview. And those three components are creation, fall, and redemption. Those three things. And if you can train your mind to look at issues through those three things, you will help yourself greatly. What does creation say about this issue and my relation to it? What does the fall, the entrance of sin into God's world then say about this? How does that sin affect this issue? And then what does Christ do in redeeming that, in changing that to what it ought to, ought to be? So there's creation, there's fall, and there's redemption. And I'd like for us to think about then this issue of, of worry in that, in that regard, with regard to uh, creation, fall, and, and redemption. Now, as we think about uh, creation, fall, redemption, consider this, that before you can think about a disorder or an abnormality, there first must be order or normalcy. True? <laughs> but we, I think we often don't think about that. We, you know, we have psychology is, is big business in, in our day. Uh, I know some Christian psychologists who are very helpful, and I sent some of our, our folks to, and some of you are actually seeing some of those people that I've recommended for you. Uh, but psychology is, is big business in our day. And one of the things that, uh, you know, the manual of psychiatric disorders uh, says, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, what are we on, four now? DSM-4, five, okay, DSM-5. And what it does is it, you know, this huge book, kind of the Bible of psychiatry, uh, lays out what the various disorders are. And it defines these disorders and gives labels to them and then descriptions. And if you have these characteristics, a lot of times it'll say, if you have any three of these, then you might have this particular disorder. But the point is, it's full of disorders. But what does a disorder assume? That there's some order against which to compare it. That there's actually some right way that this is supposed to go. And there's something that's gone wrong, so it's disordered. Or if we say there's any kind of an abnormality, that assumes that then there's a normal state to which that is, is compared. Now, I beat on that because when we think about order and when we think about normalcy, we're really thinking about the way God designed it. We're thinking about creation. If we're going to look through the lens of creation, fall, and redemption, and we start with creation, creation is the way it's supposed to be. That's the way God made it. It's normal. It's ordered. 
It's not disordered. It's not abnormal. You guys remember years ago, some years ago, there was a, the Adams Family movie came out? Remember the Adams Family? And the Adams Family and how weird those guys, those guys were. So there was the Adams Family movie and the, and the, and the subtitle for that, and the, ad, and the ads for it was, Weird is Relative. Well, you calling me weird? Who says, who defines what weird is? Weird is, and that, and, that's, and that is true. Weird is relative. Weird is related to what's normal. And then a deviation from that, yeah, can be defined properly as, as weird. So when we think about looking at things through a biblical worldview, creation, fall, redemption, you start with creation, and creation is that. It's order, it's normalcy. And you hear people who aren't Christians all the time admit that there is this state of order and normalcy whenever they use terms like abnormal and disordered. Every dysfunctional fallen then emotion is a distortion of God's original pre-fall design. God intended for us to experience a mood that is the flip side of anxiety. And if we're to understand the disorder of anxiety, we have to first understand the order that sin has disordered. What normal, healthy, God-given process has become disturbed, disordered by anxiety? Now, you could give this a state of creation a lot of names, but some have called it, and works for me, to call it a state of vigilance. So you've got anxiety on the one hand, which is abnormal, it's disordered. But what's the ordered version of that? It's, it's, it's being vigilant, and it comes from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, Genesis 2:15, where God had given to Adam in creation, to humanity by extension, in creation, the, the task of taking care of his world, taking care of the garden. And so Adam had concerns. He had responsibilities to take care of with this, he was to, that he was to be vigilant about. God placed Adam in the garden to, the Bible says, work it and take care of it. And the Hebrew word behind that, take care of, means to guard, protect, to keep safe, to watch over, to keep vigil. So in effect, God called Adam to be on sentry duty. And to fulfill that, he created Adam and He created us with the mood or the emotion of vigilance. And the, the root of that word vigilance relates to a, a sentry, someone who is, is on guard. God built into our brains a sentinel. Vigilance is the God-given emotion that urges us to act quickly in response to our responsibilities. Vigilance is the proper constructive concern for the well-being of others and the advancement of God's work. It motivates us to implement a kind of tend and, pre, and, and befriend be, behavior. And so God gave that to us in, in creation. And that perspective then will help us avoid an inaccurate view of legitimate concern that's designed to motivate us to do what needs to be done. Sometimes when we're faced with a threat or we, and we respond with fear, we're 
overwhelmed by shame. We feel weak. We feel puny feelings of, when feelings of fear arise. But with this perspective now that God gave us this vigilant capacity, with that perspective then, we should be able to reshape how we respond to those initial feelings of fear. We can say, okay, this feeling is the God-sent, God-given warning sign to kick me into gear, so I'll spring into action on behalf of others and on behalf of God. It doesn't eliminate anxiety, but it'll remove unfounded shame because of it. So vigilance motivates us to be God's tool. But anxiety, the flip side of that, attempts to cripple and disarm us as tools, turning us in not to warriors for God, but warriors for, for God. So let me ask you this. What's the difference between worry and responsibility? Then? Some of you, as we've gone through this the past few weeks afterwards, you've said, so what about my, just the stuff I got to do? And I sometimes get kind of wigged out about the stuff I got to do. What's the difference between worry and my, and my responsibilities? Well, over the years, you've heard me use this tool that I just find helpful in so many situations, including this question, the difference between worry and responsibility. And it's the difference between uh, concern and responsibility. And the way to think about those is to think about the circle of concern and the circle of responsibility. The circle of concern is a big circle. You got all kinds of things that you can be concerned about. And so you hear something happening in some other part of the world, and you wish it wasn't that way. You might even think, what can I do to help? Could I send some money you know, to, to help with that? What? But big circle, concern. World hunger, concern. You know, you're a completely non-feeling person if, you don't, if you're not concerned when you see these kinds of things. So that, that circle, as you think about it, could be almost unlimited. That's why I say it's a very big circle of concern. But then your circle of responsibility is a subset of that, though. So you have these two concentric circles. You've got the one that's concern, and you've got the one within it that's responsibility. So I can be concerned about a bunch of things, but I don't have responsibility for everything. I have responsibility for the things that God has assigned to me. And your concentration and your energies need to go into those things, that smaller circle of concern, or excuse me, of responsibility. Now, what if you're the person whose circle of responsibility almost overlaps the edges of your circle of concern? So you've got this big thing, concern. You're supposed to have the smaller thing, responsibility. But for you, responsibility goes way out here. I'm responsible for everything. Then you're what Counselor Paul Tripp calls a mini, M-I-N-I, small Messiah. You've taken on yourself stuff that God didn't call you to do. You're a mini Messiah. And so you, some of you here are thinking to yourself, or some of you are sitting next to somebody who you're going, yep, mini Messiah. Everything's your responsibility. You take on everything. But then you've got people on the other end, they don't take on anything. You've got the mini Messiah, and then you've got what Tripp calls 
God's vacationer. And the reason he calls it that is because that's the person who can put a veneer of spirituality on irresponsibility. By saying, hey, I trust God. Why, why are you getting all concerned? I trust God. God's going to take care of this. All the while failing to take care of the responsibilities God has given them. So I encourage you to think long and deeply about the difference between your areas of concern and your areas of responsibility, and to help one another see that difference. If you're married and your spouse is regularly getting his or herself involved in areas of concern that are not their area of responsibility, lovingly point that out. Hey, is that yours to do? Here are a few areas of concern that are not our responsibility. None of us. The future. I mean, you can, be, you can be aware that we got tomorrow coming, and we got next week coming, and we got next year coming. You can put a 10-year plan together for your church, and you, can, and you can be aware that those things that you've put in your plan may or may not happen. But the truth of the matter is, it's not your responsibility to be able to control whether or not all those happen, is it? I mean, all the stuff I lay out for our 10-year plan for our church, we've got responsibilities within that, but then there are things outside of our control that, we, that will affect that, and we don't know whether it's going to happen or not. So I look at it and say, you know, you lay out 15 things, and if God allows you to accomplish half of those, then praise God for the half. Now, for the other that didn't get accomplished, I don't want it to be for lack of irresponsibility, but simply because there are always things outside our control. So, so how the future turns out is beyond your pay grade. It's beyond my ability. It's beyond your ability. Another one is other people. trying to get other people to get it right. You can be concerned about that, but is it your responsibility? And yet, we all fall into it. I, I include myself in that. You know, as, you, as you've got a flock, you want people to then begin to actually implement the things that you're trying to show from God's Word. But ultimately, is that my responsibility? No, the answer is no. I can't make that happen. And so I shouldn't try to make it happen. And when I make it happen, it affects me and affects the way I go about the things that God has assigned to me. Same thing for you. You know, you may have a family member and you want to shake that family member and make them get it right. But you can't make them get it right. So you can be concerned about the future, but you don't have responsibility ultimately for the future. You can be concerned about other people, but you don't have responsibility ultimately for what people do with what they're given. And just the unknown in general, like why someone else is doing what they're doing. You can observe what someone else, you know, did 
choice that they made. And then if you're a person who allows your mind to just go on in an undisciplined sort of way, you can draw all kinds of conclusions about why they did that. But when it comes down to it, the truth is you don't know. And anything you don't know, you shouldn't act on. You shouldn't send it out. You shouldn't forward it. You shouldn't go to people and confront them about stuff that you think they should have done differently, but you don't really know why they did it the way they did. You don't have to do all of that. That's not your responsibility. Now, if someone... If you know why someone did something, that's a totally different story. But if you have to surmise, if you have to make it up, if you, and there's a whole, this whole area of just what's unknown. I don't know it for sure. If you don't know it for sure, then calm your mind by putting it out of your mind. I'm not good at a lot of things. I am really good at that. Putting out of my mind stuff that I don't know. And I don't know when I started doing that, but I started it decades ago. And it has, it has been helpful for my mental health for a lot of years. And it will be helpful to yours as well. What did Jesus say? Hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own, right? I got my own set of legitimate things and responsibilities I have to concern myself with. So do you without allowing anything else to come in. So really beat on that circle of concern, large circle versus smaller circle of responsibility. All right, so in the garden, God in creation gives an order to things. And that order to us, humanity, is he gives us this capacity to be vigilant, to act on the behalf of others, to act on God's behalf. But like everything else that God gave us in creation, in the fall, that second component of a biblical worldview, it becomes distorted. It becomes disoriented, abnormal. So some of you, as an example, know the pain of growing up with, a, say, an alcoholic in your home, an alcoholic father. Sometimes you'd come home drunk, sometimes happy, want to play catch in the front yard. Other times you'd come home drunk and go ballistic if he saw the children walking on the lawn. In that situation, you learn to always be on guard. You're, you experience hypervigilance, or what one has called stuck vigilance. So in creation, God gave us vigilance, but now in the fall, you've got hypervigilance. You've got stuck vigilance. And anxiety is vigilance that's out of control. You continually scan your environment. You're worried about the what-ifs of life. Anxiety is toxic scanning. Just looking around. Remember I talked about the observant person versus the happy-go-lucky? The observant person is just seeing all the stuff and they're taking it all in and all the things that could happen, all the things that could happen with their kids, all the things that could happen while their kids are at school, all the things that could happen with the economy toxic scanning. Anxiety is also vigilance that's trying to maintain control in a self-protective, self-sufficient way. Anxiety is vigilance minus faith in God. 
It's this vigilance thing that we were given in creation. Sans absent faith in God. It's run amok now. It's out of control. So God calls Adam to guard the garden, yet while the serpent tempted his wife, Adam stood right there, the Bible tells us, and did nothing. He wasn't, vigilance didn't kick in when it was supposed to. Failing to trust and obey God, Adam failed to guard the garden. He went off of his sentry duty that he was called to. And so anxiety then results in flight or fight behavior. And after sinning in the garden, Adam evidenced both of those, fight and flight. He hid in the garden because he was afraid. That's the flight response. And he blamed his wife and God. That's the fight response. So let's talk about those for a bit. Vigilant faith, anxiety, and anger go together. They're cousins. Consider how this goes. Anger is the fight response to a perceived threat. So you attack. This is vigilante justice. That's where vigilante comes from, vigilant. You were made to be vigilant. But then you've got vigilante justice that happens. You're taking matters into your own hands, in your own power, for our own benefit. Notice that the angry tough guy is just as fearful and terrified as the anxious person. It's just that the response is different. And then you've got, so you've got anger, that's the fight response, but then you've got anxiety, that's the flight response to a threat or a perceived threat. You retreat. That's inaction when you're supposed to take action. Here we take safety into our own hands. If I worry enough, at least I'll feel as if I have some, some control. And so I think about it, and I plan about it, and I concoct about it. And I let it go over and over and over in my mind. And then there's vigilance. That's the faith response. You've got the fight, you've got the flight, you've got the faith response to a threat. You befriend if it involves others, you tend if it involves your circumstances. You engage and you protect. That's a vigorous response. Here we place our safety and the safety of others in God's hands while we take a stand for His plan. If it's befriending and tending to others, even when we feel threatened. So God says, be vigilant. God says, be alert. Take your stand. Stand firm. But anxiety says, what if I can't handle this? I have to run. I have to engage in the flight response. I have to self-protect. So you're scanning, but no standing. Continual worry, a perpetual state of alarm, the constant startle reflex. Anxiety is vigilance that does not turn back to trust in God. And anxiety and anger involve vigilance without faith and without love. They're untrusting, non-relational responses to threat. Huh, that's all bad. So this thing that we all do regularly, we're worried, we're anxious, we take on 
responsibilities that are not ours. And we don't cast, as 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, you guys remember what it says? Cast all your care where? On Him. But instead of casting all our care on Him, we take it upon ourselves. We do this self-protect thing. Vigilance, on the other hand, is a trusting relational response to threat. It relates to others by protecting the person being threatened. It relates to others by engaging, challenging, and confronting, not attacking the person doing the threatening. It relates to God by trusting that what He calls us to do, He equips us to fulfill. So all of this is still in just that second component of the three-component worldview. You've got creation, God makes us with this capacity to be vigilant, but then you've got the disordering of the fall, and then instead of being vigilant, we become angry, we fight, anxiety, we engage in flight. Now, where does fear fit into all of that? And then we'll get to God's redemption. Fear is our response when we are uncertain about our ability in the face of danger. We're assaulted by a force that overwhelms us. The threat drives us to face the fact that we're helpless. Ultimately, our safety is out of our control. Fear then compels us to face our neediness. And so there are going to be times in a fallen world where that's always going to, be, where that's going to happen. You're overwhelmed. You're outnumbered. You know, David was a general and a king, and David said, when I am afraid. Not if, when I am afraid. So there were times where David was afraid, but he didn't have to remain that way. Immediately, he recognizes that I am overwhelmed. I am outnumbered. I don't have the capacity myself. So the question is then, where do we turn? So fear is a reality. Fear is something that sizes things up correctly, that I'm outnumbered, that I am needy but where am I going to turn? In anxiety, we turn to ourselves instead of God. Anxiety is fear without faith. Vigilance, as I said, run amok. We scan the horizon constantly and fearfully without ever taking action or responsibility and without clinging to God. But in vigilance, we turn to God. So when David said, when I am afraid, he said, when I am afraid, and here's the next line, I will trust in you. Not if I am afraid. When I am afraid, I will trust in in you. In vigilance, we turn to God. Through faith, we face the reality of our neediness by trusting in the unseen reality of a God who cares and controls. I can't handle this. God can. You know, so I said last week from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he spends verses 25 to 34 talking about this issue of worry. It's a big deal to him. And he gave, you remember, one of the reasons you don't worry is because that's what the pagans do. But you have a Father in heaven. And vigilance remembers that. I'm not alone in this. Yeah, if I'm alone, I got plenty to fear. But thanks be to God, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. All right, creation, vigilance, the ability to be motivated to do what God has assigned me to do and act upon it. But then there is vigilance that becomes hypervigilance in the fall and overtakes us 
So what is the third component of the biblical worldview, redemption, as it relates to this? What difference does the cross make? What does godly vigilance look like for children of God living in a fallen world? Well, Jesus modeled himself this constructive vigilance in the Garden of Gethsemane. He faced his dread of death and he placed his faith in his Father's good heart and strong hands. He entrusted himself to the God who raises the dead. Jesus' disciples, on the other hand, modeled destructive fear and anxiety. So just go to Matthew chapters 26, 27, 28, and you'll see a contrast in the way to, to handle this. Matthew 26, Jesus is handling it with proper constructive vigilance. But at one point, Peter chose the fight response of vigilante justice. You guys remember that? Cuts off an ear. Don't worry, Jesus, I got this. <laughs> at another point, he chose the flight response of vigil without action, denying the Lord three times. And all of the disciples displayed an inability to hold vigil. Jesus said, couldn't you keep watch? That is keep vigil with me for one hour? Why? Because they were taking matters into their own hands. When anxiety stalks, faith wrestles. Here's the testimony of the life of one man and his mental, spiritual, and emotional wrestling. I feel fear. There's no denying the emotion. But through Christ's resurrection power, I can act on the truth that God never leaves me nor forsakes me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror. Nothing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Trusting God's protection, I refuse to protect myself. Instead, I'll courageously protect others for God's glory. We experience the power of life and death in these two gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. If you live by the power of the flesh, then you live a fear-based, self-centered life that follows the model of the first Adam in the first garden. But if we live by the power of the Spirit, then we live by a faith-based, Christ-centered life that follows the model of the second Adam. So understand, brothers and sisters, that's what's going on with us. God made us with an ability to carry out our responsibilities before Him, to be vigilant. But sin always distorts every good gift from God. God gives the material world. God made it. But the material world then is distorted and made idolatrous because of the fall. I mean, you can just go down the list of every good gift that God has given, and there's a distorted version of that. And that's true of this vigilance that He gave us in the garden that morphs because of sin into anxiety. Vigilance out of, out of control. But we can and we should and we must halt that out of control vigilance and say, wait a minute, where does God fit into this? And when you bring God into the equation, now you've got someone who is bigger than the fear, stronger than the circumstances that you are in. You can then cast your anxiety upon Him because you truly do believe He cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. And then with all of that, you just do that, man. You keep fighting that battle. 
No, I'm not going to allow my mind to go there. No, I'm not going to allow my life to be in the circle of concern. I'm going to focus on the responsibilities that God has given me. I'm not God's mini Messiah, and I'm also not God's vacationer. Carrying out my responsibilities, trusting in the Lord who is bigger than me and all of that, and I do that day by day, side by side with other fellow travelers who strengthen me and who I strengthen as well along the way through one of God's means of grace that I talked about last week. And I keep doing that. And I get my 70 years or 80 years or whatever it's going to be. And as you do that in this fallen world, guess what will happen? You'll still be anxious. <laughs> wow, glad I took this class. <laughs> now, you know, you'll, I would be lying to you if I said you'll get it all together this side of heaven. You ain't going to get it all together this side of heaven. I've learned some stuff. I told you I learned to put things out of my mind that aren't mine. And that's just sort of a defense mechanism because there's just too much. And the things I don't have to deal with, I put into those go on somebody else's to-do list then. So I've learned to do that. That's helped my mental health. But I still don't have it down. I still find myself, you know, I could literally this afternoon, my phone could ring, my inbox and my email could have some negative things that come in from some of you. You know, just stuff, stuff happens and, and people are upset or whatever it is and I can allow that in that moment to overtake. And I just got done teaching this. Eventually I'll come back to it, but my point is, None of us have it down this side of heaven. So I want to close with this then. What's the goal? You know, you say, well, the goal is to get rid of anxiety. Well, that's a legitimate desire. That's an acceptable prayer. Lord, if it's your will, remove these feelings and these experiences. And that would be victory over anxiety. But if I promise you victory over all sin in this life, then I'm not telling you the truth. God does not promise this side of heaven all feelings will be healed and all negative emotional experiences will be wiped away. It's on the other side of heaven that we have no more tears, sorrow, pain, and suffering. Thanks be to God. So you battle now and you look forward to then. And the looking forward to then is part of what energizes you in the here and now. Part of the reason that I can get up in the morning and I can take it on and I can do the vigilant work of saying I'm not going to allow my mind to run amok and I'm not going to allow my responsibilities to become my concerns. I'm not going to take on things God has not to assign. The reason you're willing to take that on is because you know there is a God who is made normal. There's a God who has made order. And there's a God who's going to bring it all back. I look forward to that time. In the meantime, let's do that. Let's aid one another in doing that. That's part of the sanctification process, the growth in godliness that is gradual, yet this side of heaven incomplete, and that all of us engage in and all of us are to help each other with. Okay? We'll talk some more next week about what to do with that.
but as it stands now, it is noon. And I don't like to brag, but yeah, I brag when I get done right on time. So <laughs> let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you again for the blessings of the Lord's Day, the opportunity to have gathered as your people, to look at what you say about the mission that you've assigned to us as a church, to consider things that, if it be your will and by your power, we would be able to accomplish in the coming years. So, Lord, we commit all those things to you with an open hand, and if you choose to change them or deny those uh, from us, you have other things for us, then, Lord, we accept that gladly. Thank you for letting us serve you. And then thank you, Lord, for giving us in your word the way you have designed your world and the way it was supposed to be versus the way it is and the way it will be. And so help me, help us then to see every issue with which we are confronted, every struggle that we have in our lives through these lenses of creation, fall, redemption, orientation, disorientation, and the reorientation that you're doing through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to do that this afternoon, this tomorrow, this week, as we do that, Lord, may it make a real change in our well-being, in the way we look at life, in the way we talk, in the way we act. And Lord, we would ask that others may see that. <laughs> see that, yes, we're in this fallen world, and yes, we uh, have employment problems and financial problems and health problems and all of the same things that others do, but we react to them differently. And as a result of that, they ask us for a reason for the hope that is within us. And we're able to point to the Lord Jesus. So Lord, help us to do that. Grow that in us so that Christ is seen in us more clearly in the future than in the past. Grant us safety this coming week and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.